Well, good morning, church family. Let's pray together. We'll dive in. Well, Father, we are grateful this morning for the opportunity to gather, to be with family in Christ, to be with brothers and sisters, to sing your praises, Father, to be reminded that you are our creator and you are our redeemer. You sustain us day by day, moment by moment. Thank you, Father, that you are good and you are forgiving and merciful, O oh God. You're, you're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so, Lord, as we hear your word read, and now as we come under your word and ask you to teach us by your spirit, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts this morning. Father, would you get me out of the way? Would you come and speak to your people from your word that we would leave this time as worshipers, growing as worshipers who with our whole lives want to tell you thank you because you have moved towards us in love. Jesus, you have rescued us. So be lifted high in this place, God. Come and teach us to worship, teach us to pray. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, uh, my name is Michael. I serve as one of the pastors here, and um, it is an honor to get to open God's Word with you, and I come to this time with great excitement. We have been in a series called Sing that just started last week. We were in this beautiful verse in this beautiful chapter, Colossians chapter 3, meditating on what it means to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. We're meditating on that together, and we're going to continue in this series trying to understand why it is that the people of God are a singing people. And we find ourselves this morning in maybe a slightly less well-known chapter, 1 Chronicles 16, and we're going to continue to ask the question, Lord, teach us to be worshipers. Teach us to sing to you, to respond to you. And before we get into this passage, I just want to ask you a question this morning. I want you to think of a time that your own self-consciousness got in the way of you enjoying something beautiful. And maybe you, like me, don't have to think too long. You're like, oh yeah, that was like five minutes ago that my own self-consciousness got in the way of me enjoying something beautiful, enjoying the moment. For me, I was thinking a little bit further back. I was thinking about the day that my first son, Case, was born. It was back in 2016. And I remember as a new dad being so self-conscious. Even as we were getting ready to go to the hospital, I was thinking, what am I going to wear? These pictures might be important, like, do I wear these shorts or do I wear this shirt? Or, and then I was thinking, like, okay, my father-in-law is going to be there. He's going to check the car seat to make sure that I have it really secured there. Like, am I, have I thought through all this? Am I prepared for this? How am I going to be perceived by my father-in-law? Or even when we're in the hospital, and it was a pretty intense moment, and I'm thinking, like, okay, play it cool. Like, you want to you say the right thing to your wife so that the medical staff are like, man, this guy, is, he's doing a good job, like, loving his wife through this moment. I was so self-conscious. And like, I look back on that moment and I'm like, who cares? This is not about you, Mike. This is about your wife and this precious baby coming into the world. Like, get over yourself. You're missing the moment. 
Or I think about another moment, just a couple years later, slightly different circumstances. Um, I was now in Houston, Texas, and I was no longer in Missouri where I was in that previous hospital visit. This time, I had pancreatitis. I was the patient. I was on my back for a week in the med center, and this time, I had gotten over my self-consciousness because you can't look cool in a hospital gown, right? You just like, you realize like, hey, okay, I'm, I'm not worried about my appearance or about how I'm being perceived. I'm in pain and I will take whatever help I can get. <laughs> like, please help me. And I remember I have a picture from that week and I had sent it to a friend. Uh, I'm not going to show it to you. I'm going to spare you of that. Um, <laughs> But, but I sent it to a buddy, and he was like, Mike, bro, you look rough. <laughs> and I did. He was right. But it was, it was just one of those moments in my life where I realized, like, okay, I need help. I am in pain. I am no longer worried about how I look. I am, I am fully present to this moment that I need a lot of care. I need a lot of uh, support. I am no longer going to be self-conscious because I need some help. And this morning, as we come to this passage in First Chronicles 16, this beautiful moment where the Ark of the Covenant is returned to the people of God, is returned to its rightful place um, in the tabernacle. And it's this moment marked by praise and celebration by the people of God. What we're going to see from this passage is what it means to worship according to the Word. What it means to worship according to the Word of God. And what we're going to see is biblical worship is God-conscious. Biblical worship calls for consistency. And finally, biblical worship blesses everyone around us. So let's dive into this passage and see this for ourselves. I want, I want to look back at, at uh, verses 1 and 4 and 7 real quick, just to focus right there. And by, by the way, Bree, my sister, you did a great job reading all those names. Uh, sorry that I assigned all those to you, but I wanted us to get the entire scope of who all's on this praise and worship team. So here we go, First Chronicles 16, verse 1. It says, And they brought in the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. See if you can notice a theme here. We're going to look down at verse 4. Then he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. And then looking down to verse 7. Then on that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph, and his brothers. Did you catch that theme there? It actually shows up in other verses in this chapter, but I'm going to focus on these three. The emphasis is on all of this happening before the Lord. This is all in His presence, before His face. That idea of God's face is even implied in that word before. The idea is all of this is focused on God. All this is focused on His glory. Nobody here is thinking about themselves. Nobody here is thinking about um, their own agenda. This is about glorifying the God who, who delivers and saves and rescues. And, and I, as I think about this word before the Lord, I'm just mindful of my own self-consciousness often plays itself out in me thinking about the fact that I'm before a lot of other people. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really directing my heart's gaze on the Lord's face, on His heart. I'm really thinking about who are all the other people that I'm before right now. 
And I wonder if you can relate to that. When, when I think about this chapter here in 1 Chronicles 16, I can't help but think about there's a parallel passage. We get this same incident recorded in biblical history in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And you can turn there if you want, but I encourage you to go back later and read this as your homework. 2 Samuel chapter 6 is this place where we get to hear a little bit more about King David's response in this moment. King David was acting a fool. He was so excited about the Ark of the Covenant coming into Jerusalem. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, you can read in verse 14 that David danced before the Lord with all his might. And that's a lot of might, by the way. This is the brother who like took down bears and lions and Goliath. He's dancing before the Lord with all his might. It goes on to say later on in 2 Samuel chapter 6 that David, in verse 16, is leaping and dancing before the Lord. And his wife, Michal, I think is the way you pronounce it in Hebrew, probably with a little more like Michal, uh, she is upset about this. Um, she says, uh, let's see, down in verse 21, or verse 20, she's like, how the king has, of Israel has honored himself today some sarcasm in her voice, uncovering himself today for the eyes of the servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. I don't know exactly what David's wearing. He's wearing a linen ephod, so we'd have to look that up in our study Bibles to get like a good picture of this garment. But the idea is, David, you were not thinking about all the other people that you were before when you were celebrating before the Lord, when you were singing and dancing. And he goes on to say, in verse 21, he says, it was before the Lord that I did all this. And at the end of verse 21, he says, and I will celebrate before the Lord. Verse 22, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. You ain't seen nothing yet, is what he's saying to his wife. Like, I will be a base, I will be brought low, I'll be humiliated in your eyes, but I will actually be held in honor by those that are seeking the Lord's honor. Do you feel it? The invitation here is for us to be emptied of ourself as we enter the presence of God and as we lift his name high and recognize that he is the glorious one. He is the one worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our celebration. Brothers and sisters, I think the invitation for us from 1 Chronicles 16, this idea of bringing our offerings before the Lord, is that we would have a reverence for His Word, and that we would have a reverence for who He is, and that we would come to Him with wholehearted worship, like with a heart posture that is bowed low before Him. That's what, that's what worship is all about. And before I move forward, I just have to share with us um, maybe just a little more context of First Chronicles 16. I think this will help us appreciate this moment. Like, I don't think we can reach the heights of celebration with the people of God. Like, they were up here really excited without also appreciating the grief that they had just been through. There was a man named Uzzah who was just, he was, he was just killed for his irreverence for God. And and it feels like this really harsh story. When you read this account, maybe you are familiar with this story. What happened is the ark of God was about to fall, and he reached for it, and he's, he's struck dead. It's a real downer to this celebration of bringing the ark of the covenant into Jerusalem. But here's why. God had commanded in no uncertain terms all throughout the law that the ark of the covenant was to be carried with poles. 
And he said, you, you shall not remove the poles. This, this ought to be carried. You need to feel the weight of my presence. This needs to be carried by priests. You can't just put it in the U-Haul. You can't just put it on the ark, or on the uh, ox cart is what it was carried by. That's how the Philistines, when they took the Ark of the Covenant away after battle, they put it on the, conven the convenient ox cart because it's heavy. But God says, you will not handle sacred things that way. You must carry them. I want you to feel the full weight of this. And brothers and sisters, I, I think for all of us, what we need to feel as we come into God's presence together as a body of believers, is that our lives throughout the week, the way that we carry sacred things in an irreverent way, affects our gathering. It affects our celebration in these moments. And so I would just encourage you, would you ask the Lord, what is that for me? What are the things that you've called me to carry close to my heart, but I've actually just found a more convenient way to go about this? This is how the nations handle this. This is how, this is how everybody else in the world handles this. So I'm going to just do it that way because it's a little bit easier. What is that for you? I'm, I'm so proud. I think, about, uh, I think about couples from our church that are preparing for marriage. I get to um, oftentimes be a part of that process. And I've seen so many couples make a courageous decision where um, they, they decided, hey, to honor God, we are going to move out. We're not going to live together before marriage because we want to handle sacred things in a way that honors the God who created us and redeemed us. We are going to live separately. We are going to honor God with our sexuality. We are going to believe that what God has said about sex is true, that sex is for marriage. I'm so proud of of the couples of our church that are like, hey, this doesn't make sense to the nations, this doesn't make sense to the world around us, but we're doing this for Jesus' sake. We're going to honor him in that. We're going we're to carry sacred things close to our heart. We're not gonna, just going to take the convenient route on the ox cart. What is it for you? It's just one example. And can I just encourage you, when we gather in this place, this is not, you've heard this quote before, this is not a museum for saints. The church is a hospital for sinners. And I know I need that. Like, like me lying on my back in the med center for a week, like needing God's help, needing his care. I feel that this morning, like just yesterday, just last night, at this moment where I just like burst into anger, just erupted in anger, kind of blew up on my boys. And, uh, and I owed them an apology last night. By God's grace, I was able to say, hey, I was wrong. Will you forgive me for that? But I'm just feeling this morning like I am a sinner that needs to be in this hospital. And the grace of God is sweet medicine. Like you've come to the right place. If you were like, hey, I'm a mess. This is where you need to be. This is a hospital. This is where we work the grace of God into our souls, into our stories. So the first thing we need to see from this passage is that biblical worship is God conscious. When we see him loving us and forgiving us when we are at our worst, we are able to respond in worship. We, the self-consciousness drains out of our heart. But next, we also see that biblical worship calls for consistency. It calls for consistency. Did you see that? Uh, if we skip down to verse 37, this verse that was read, it says, So David left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister regularly before the Ark as each day required. 
And then down in verse 40, to offer burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offering regularly morning and evening, to do all that is written in the law of the Lord that he commanded Israel. Did you hear that word regularly repeated? In verse 37 it says, as each day required. And then down in verse 40 it says, regularly morning and evening. And then you hear this phrase, to do all that is written in the law of the Lord. This idea of worshiping according to God's word. But I want to talk to you about consistency. Like when I think about this passage, I can't help but think about uh, another image for the church that John Calvin, the theologian, used to say the church is meant to be a gymnasium. So we've already established it's a hospital, and all of us are hurting. All of us are weary and sick with sin, and we need the grace of God, the grace of Jesus as sweet medicine for our souls. But it's also a gymnasium. And I love this image because we're here to train. We're here to get a workout in. We are here to learn the rhythms of grace. It's why you can feel it in the cadence of our worship from the call to worship to the confession of sin, the assurance of pardon. As we come under the authority of God's word, as we respond to God and commune with him at his table, as we sing and worship and praise the Lord through song, and as we're sent out through the sending of the benediction, we're here to train. And I don't know about you, there's some days where you show up here and you're like, I don't really want to sing today. I don't feel like it. But, but then it reminds me of, there's a group of men from this church and several other churches uh, that I get to run with on Tuesday and Thursday mornings. Some of you guys have heard me talk about this too much. Uh, but I love this group of men. We call ourselves the night herons because we see this bird called a night heron on many of our runs. We actually had a sister in Christ from this church join us recently. I won't embarrass her, but she, she uh, dominated us. She was amazing. Uh, I'm very, she's a legend in my book. Um, so sisters in Christ are welcome as well. But what I love about this group of men is we meet really early in the morning and um, like so early that when your alarm goes off, you're like, that can't be right. <laughs> like there's something wrong here. And, and we go for a run and then we get to share some time just sitting and drinking coffee together. And if I'm honest with you, there's a lot of days I do not want to go. Like that time came really early and I'm like, man, this is a terrible idea. Why would I do this to myself? But I'm always glad that I went. There's never been a time that I've gone and enjoyed that time with those men and finished and felt like, yeah, that was a bad decision. I've always been like, man, I'm so glad I did that. Even if I'm a little bit tired later and I go to bed a little bit earlier. But it's training. And there's a lot of men that haven't come in a while and I'm not up here trying to like, uh, trying to like twist their arm. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying, when you come back, it's hard. Because the consistency is important. But you know what helps with that is community. What helps with the consistency is having brothers and sisters that are doing it with you. I run a lot further and a lot faster because those guys are there than I would if I was by myself. And brothers and sisters, I want to invite you to consider the life of faith that way. When we gather, we're here in this gymnasium to be trained in the grace of God to remember what Jesus has accomplished for us. Because there's a lot of times where it's like, hey, I just don't feel it, but we need, to, we need to show up anyways. And put our hearts in a place for God to work his, his character into us, to work his grace into us, to remind us of who he is and who we are. That's why we gather. Consistency is important. And I just want to encourage you to think about this. We're reading about priests 
that have specific duties to minister regularly as each day required, like morning and evening. And you know the reference in 1 Peter where we read that, that we are a royal priesthood as followers of Jesus, that every person in this room, by faith in Jesus, all of you who have trusted in him, you are, you are priests. Everywhere you go, you carry the presence of God with you. You're meant to be a bridge builder that connects people to God. And you, each and every day, have this consistent invitation and responsibility to offer to God a sacrifice of praise. You know, this same, same David in his famous Psalm, Psalm 51, verse 17, he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And he also says in Psalm 27, I'm not going to be able to get this one if I don't turn here. Psalm 27, he says this about sacrifice, offering sacrifice consistently. He says in Psalm 27, verse 6, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. And what would it look like for you to offer the sacrifice of praise, for you to sing songs of joy to God morning and evening in hopes that it would be a part of your rhythms throughout the day? For you to see your time in God's presence, not so much as, hey, I need to have an hour-long quiet time this morning so that I get a lot of Bible information into my mind, and then I can, in my own, in my own flesh, and my own strength, I can just like do a lot of things well today. What if you viewed your time with God as, God, I'm here in your presence, needy, like weary and heavy laden, and I need you to restore my soul. Like, I'm just coming into your presence, God, to remember who you are and to remember who I am. And as soon as I remember through my time in your word, through my time praying, through my time meditating upon your goodness, sitting in silence before you, as soon as I remember the good news, my heart responds in praise and adoration and thanks. What if you viewed your time in his presence as a worshiper and not just as a student? Because we are called to be lifelong learners. That's what disciple means, is to be a learner. But, but it's actually the idea of an apprentice with our whole life, with our heart and soul and mind and strength, walking in the ways of Jesus, who was clothed with the oil of gladness beyond his companions. He was so full of joy, even in the midst of suffering and sorrow, because he lived with his heart uplifted in that way. Friends, what, what do you hear God inviting you to from this idea of consistency? And not just consistency in terms of your prayer life, because I long for that. That will, that will bless all of us here. If every one of us in this room says, yes, Lord, I want to minister to you regularly. I want to hear your good news spoken over me by your word, by your spirit. I want to respond to you in praise. That's going to bless everyone here. We're going to be able to feel that in all of our gatherings, both in terms of our house churches and when we gather together in corporate worship. But what would it look like for you to also ask the Lord, Lord, where am I lacking in consistency? Where am I lacking in integrity in my life? I say that I'm all about praising you and worshiping you and honoring you, but honestly over here, I'm, I'm about me. I'm about my comfort, my pleasure, my ease, my security. 
Where is your life lacking in consistency of being a wholehearted worshiper of God who has a reverence for his word and says, God, I'm going to obey what you have said in the way that you have said it because I trust you, because your word is a reflection of you, of your heart, your character. What's the Lord inviting you to consider today, brothers and sisters, in this call to consistency? Because biblical worship is God-conscious rather than self-conscious. It involves this reverence for God, this emptying of self. But biblical worship also calls for consistency. And finally, biblical worship blesses everyone around us. Oh man, I have been so excited about this point all week. Seeing this in this passage just caused my heart to leap for joy. Did you hear this in verse 2? When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord and distributed to all Israel, both men and women, to each a loaf of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. And then I'm also going to read the very last verse in this passage, verse 43. Then all the people departed, each to his house, and David went home to bless his household. Do you see that this scene of worship of the triune God, the creator of the ends of the earth, the God who has rescued and delivered and saved his people, who, who loves his people so much that he desires to dwell with them, that he would do anything to make sure that his people can be with him forever. This scene of worship and praise and adoration also involves people being blessed. This passage is about the glory of God and the blessing of all peoples. That's what this passage is about. And, and I just wonder if you can feel this invitation from God today, that David is not some, some dour, grumpy worshiper of God. He's not like, he's not like, uh, okay, I'm, I'm a really serious worshiper of God, and so all you people are in my way and don't really matter to me. That's not his heart. David's heart here is, I have experienced the salvation of God personally. Like, I use that image of the church as a hospital. The reality is, Ephesians 2 tells us that all of us were dead in our trespasses and sins. It's even worse than that. It's, it's, it's a morgue, but we've all been raised to new life by faith in Jesus. And David understands that, that God has caused him to be made alive, and as a result, he loves people. He blesses them in the name of the Lord. He puts the blessing of God, the name of God upon them. May the Lord bless you and keep you. He's praying blessings over them, and he's not just saying, go in peace, be warmed and filled. He says, here's some bread and a cake of raisins. It's not my favorite kind of cake, but I bet it's pretty good. A portion of meat. He gives them something just as like an overflow of the, of the goodness in his heart because he has been beholding the God who is holy, holy, holy. He is becoming like the one that he worships, the God who is brimming over with goodness and grace and generosity. He is the God of self-giving love. And David spending time in his presence says, man, his goodness is too much. It's overflowing in me. Where's where somebody I can bless? And, and, and God says, how about these people? 
And so he is overflowing, brimming over with generosity. I was sitting in house church this past Sunday, and one of the men from our house church was like, man, I love that he gives them food here. And he just like helped me slow down enough to be like, man, that is so awesome. How down to earth is our God that he cares about our bodies? He wants us to worship him with our whole bodies. When you taste a delicious cake of raisins, he, he wants you to, to give him praise. Say, thank you, Lord, that I got to enjoy that. And he cares about nourishing our bodies just like he cares about nourishing our souls. I just, that's just a beautiful little side note in this passage. I feel like we could have gone without the, the sack lunch that was given to everybody, but God wants us to know he cares about all of us. He wants us to worship him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. But not only that, David returns home. It's not like he's, he's just saying, hey, I'm this, I'm this worshiper of God, and so I do lots of religious things with a lot of people around. He goes home to bless his household. I don't know if there's any other parents in the room or uh, husbands in the room that needed to hear that. For me, man, I think about how often am I all about worshiping God outside of my home, but God's saying, hey, discipleship starts in your home. I want you to worship me there. And, and studying this passage all week, um, I already mentioned uh, blowing up in anger on my boys last night and having to apologize to them and to my wife just to feel like my heart was ready to come and preach this passage. And, and I, I feel like the Lord has been working on me saying, hey, bless your household. Bless the people you live with. Whether you're single or married, like bless the people that are nearest to you and bless the people that you come into contact with throughout your day, throughout your week such that you would have the heart of God as you behold this glory of the glorious God whose desire is that his glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, whose desire is that the nations would worship him, that your heart would enlarge, would expand, would grow in goodness to everybody. So my wife Erin and I have been taking this class this semester. Some of you guys are in it. It's called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. It's a class on global missions. And it has been so good for me as a disciple. I feel like my heart is expanding. And, and uh, as I'm seeing these themes throughout the Bible that God has always been concerned for the nations to worship him, all peoples, people from every nation and tribe and tongue and language. And as I see that in his word, it's like he is giving me a love for different peoples that I never had before. And he's helping me see that, hey, that is what you were made for. You were made to be in my family and to be a part of my glory covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. You were not made to get fired up about a football team or about a baseball team or all the other things that I have poured all of my energy and time and money into like celebrating. You're made to celebrate me, God says. You're made to glorify me and enjoy me forever. This is when your heart will come fully alive. And one of the quotes, very simply, you don't have to take the entire course to get this quote. I can just send it to you, but I, I do encourage the course if you have time in your life. Um, this is a famous quote that they started with, and it comes from John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad. And he says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. 
It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. And so, brothers and sisters, starting in your own homes, with your families or your roommates, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, and keeping in mind that the nations are here in this city, and God has placed us in this city to embody and declare his redemptive story to every Houstonian, what would it look like for you to behold this God, to worship him according to his word, with reverence for his word, with a heart posture that reflects that you are focused on his glory, because that's what he made you for. That's where your joy is complete. With consistency that he calls for, putting yourself through the paces, coming to the gymnasium here to train with us. But then also with a heart that's overflowing with blessing for all people. What would it look like for us to grow in that? And as you think about that, let me just remind all of us, myself included, myself especially, that Jesus is the one who lived a life perfectly God-conscious. He always did the things that were pleasing to his Father. He obeyed in all of the ways that I have failed. My anger oftentimes is is unrighteous most of the time, 99% of the time. Even in his anger, he always was defending God's glory and people that were being mistreated. In every way, he's obeyed where we have failed. And he died on that cross for us, forgiving us of all of our sin, all of our shame. This this Savior of the world, this Son of the Most High God who lived with perfect consistency in every area of his life, integrity of heart before God, he died in our place so that we would not stay dead, so that we would rise forever. He was pierced for our transgressions. By his wounds, we are healed. Would you come to him? Would you lift your soul to him today? Say, Jesus, I am weary and heavy laden. My soul is sick. I need you to heal me. I need you to train me in your grace. I need you to send me out. I want to be sent out as your son or your son or daughter of the Most High God on your mission that the nations would be glad, that everyone around us would be blessed. If you've never trusted in Jesus, Would you hear his voice beckoning you today saying, hey, come to me. I will satisfy you in ways that no one else can. I will show you what your soul was made for. Would you come to him and experience what it means to glorify God and enjoy him forever? Let's pray together. So Jesus, we rejoice in you today, not not in our record, but in your perfect record. Jesus, that you, that you fulfilled all of this, that you died in our place, that you rose again and you are seated at the right hand of your Father, Jesus, as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Would you help us with the eyes of faith, with the eyes of our heart to see you clearly? Would you give us a reverence for you, Lord, and a joy in knowing that you love us? that you left heaven to come and rescue us. God, help our hearts to feel that, to not miss the beauty of your good news by our self-consciousness. Would you free me of that? Would you free all of us of that? Jesus, we love you and we worship you. We want to see you glorified among the nations. We want people to be blessed as they know you and trust you and glorify you. We love you, Lord. Pray these things in your name. Amen.